1 John, uh, verse by verse. Verse 7 begins, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had uh, from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I run unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. The title of the Bible study or the sermon this evening is this, Walking in the Light of the Savior. Walking in His Light. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand the passage and then go forth and do our part to live the passage. Help us to understand the truths you have for us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I guess it took me probably... um, uh, five or six or seven hours of studying in the book of First John to really fully get this and understand this. I wish I had understood it right from the jump, uh, but uh, here's, here's the truth that I guess I stumbled on uh, probably halfway through chapter 1 or early in chapter 2, and it's this. The book of First John is all about a family relationship, uh, both with God and with each other. I'm speaking to those that are saved. The entire book of 1 John is talking to the saved, and it is dealing with a family relationship. A family relationship. Um, I have always found the language of 1 John interesting. Over and over again, the author calls us little children. And it's a little insulting. Um, Little children, I'm an adult man, I'm an adult woman. Even when I was a teenager, I'm like, I'm not a little kid, what's, what's this? Uh, but uh, little children, whose children are we? Are we John's children? He, he writes as though we're his children. Little children, I write unto you. Little children, I write unto you. Over and over and over again. In fact, the last verse in First John, again, he calls... The, 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 uh, the readers of the book, little children. We're not his little children. No, we're God's children. How did you become a child of God? You, got, you became a child of God by getting saved, right? You put your faith and trust in Christ. And John 1.12 tells us that if we receive him, we become the sons of God, even to the, them that believe on his name. Now, that would make, if you're saved this evening... That would make God your father, and that would make everyone else who is saved your brothers and sisters. That's why we call each other brother uh, and sister. Now, it's less common in the English or American culture to refer to a lady in the church as sister such and such. Uh, I've been Baptist churches my whole life. I've not really seen that practice. There's nothing wrong with it. In the Spanish culture, it's very common. We call the ladies hermana, hermana, hermana. And hermana means sister. Uh, hermana, uh, hermana Kelly over here. Hermana Rose. And uh, you go around and, and that's, that's common in that culture. But why do we call someone a brother or a sister? Because we share the same Heavenly Father. We've been adopted into the same family. And that would mean every saved woman in the world is my sister in Christ. And every saved man in the world is my brother. Um, 
Now, um, I am the oldest of seven biological children, my parents' seven children, and we all love each other. We love each other very much. Now, that doesn't mean we've always gotten along, and that doesn't mean there hasn't been a fist fight here or there growing up. Uh, that doesn't mean that uh, we haven't pulled my sister's hair or when we were little th- thrown her dolls all on the ground and gotten her all upset. And uh, one time, <laughs> I couldn't think of a funny story uh, to share when I was preparing this, but I knew when I got up here one would come to my mind. Uh, one time uh, when my, tw- my twin brothers were just uh, toddlers, I think they were two, we lived across the street from uh, the church. This is, we lived in Alabama. And uh, someone had, a big farming community, someone had brought in some hot peppers. I don't know if they were habaneros or jalapenos. I don't know. They were something hot. And uh, they kind of had the look of a bell pepper, or at least enough to convince my sister that it was a bell pepper. And so I took one, and I went across the street in the church parsonage where we lived. And we walked in there, and, uh, and I said, hey, hey, Hannah, would you, would you like to take a bite of this pepper? She's like, I don't like peppers. I said, no, 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 no. This one is really sweet. And, and I don't like peppers, but I like this one. And uh, we're right in the middle of the house, right outside of my little brother's uh, bedroom door. And so sure enough, she took a bite and her mouth was just ablaze. And she began to scream and holler in pain. And my mom had laid down to take a nap. And, you know, my mom had uh, seven children to take care of. And her husband was on this uh, expansive diet. And she had to do all this extra cooking. And she was getting three or four hours of sleep a night. And so um, uh, she was laying down and taking a nap. And so my sister's screaming at the top of her lungs and wakes up the twins. So they start screaming. And then... That wakes up my mom, and my mom starts screaming, and I just slipped out the door and went back across the street to the church where I went and played basketball and just stayed there until, until, until everything cooled down. Um, uh, I love my brothers and sisters, and, and uh, I've gotten them in trouble. They've gotten me in trouble. There have been times where I've not liked them. There have been times where we've But at the end of the day, family is family. At the end of the day, you figure out how to work it out. You ought to figure out how to love each other. I love my family, but we are spread out all over the place. Um, uh, I live here in uh, this area. I have a brother that lives in uh, Bristol, Connecticut. I have a brother that lives in Chicago. I have a sister that lives in North Carolina. I have another sister that is heading to Fiji as a missionary with her husband. I have a brother who lives in Honduras as a missionary. I have another brother who lives in Florida. We don't get to get all get together very often. We're all spread out all over the place. And to be honest, it's difficult to remember when everybody's birthday is. Uh, and even if you know the date, the day comes. And unless you have a calendar, a reminder on your phone. It's hard to remember to send them all a happy birthday wish. And I love them all, but I'm not really as close to them as I probably ought to be. Uh, we traveled to Peru this past year, and I went down and preached for our missionary brother Raider, and and then we uh, traveled up the mountain to Huancayo, Peru, and we spent some time with Angela's family. And I I have to tell you one thing that I've always known about the Spanish culture, but got to experience just a little bit more is the closeness of family. I mean, they're tight knit. Um, uh, the 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 um, uh, the the aunts and uncles uh, or tios tias and the the in laws and uh, uh, cousins and second cousins. And one thing I find hilarious in the Spanish culture is that every woman who's older than you in your family or that is even a friend to your family is your aunt. They're all your aunt. Is it that way in the African culture too? 
everybody is your aunt and everybody is your uncle. Come say hello to your T.O. whatever. Come say hello to your T.O. You know, uh, well, how are they related? Well, they're really not, but I was friends with them in high school, so that makes them your T.O. or your Tia, or your aunt, your uncle. And uh, but, but it's just amazing how close they are. I, I believe in these uh, countries and in these cultures, you have to have a separate budget category just to buy birthday presents. Because you're at a birthday party every week or at least every other week and uh, the uh, the closeness, the tight-knit family. Now, the more time you are around your family, the more squabbling you have with your family. But they always find a way. Blood is thicker than water. Blood is thicker than water. Now, let me speak to you as a dad before we get into the material this evening. My children are little. You all know my kids. And for the most part, they get along. They're like most brothers and sisters. They get on each other's nerves sometimes. And they love to irritate and get the other one upset. But they love each other. They, they uh, uh, look after each other. Nothing would break my heart more than for my children to grow up and have a falling out in their relationship. Nothing would crush me than to know that my son refused to talk to my daughter or that my daughter refused to talk to my son. Boy, that wouldn't just strain the relationship this way. That would restrain the relationship this way. I would have a hard time having a depth of relationship with my son if it was him that was splintering the relationship with his sister. And I would have a hard time having a deep relationship with my daughter if she was the cause for why the relationship was broken with her brother. Nothing would mean more to me and and their mother than to see the two of them reconcile and get things right. And not just superficial right, not just enough where they can occupy the same home a couple of times a year when they come around for Thanksgiving and Christmas, but where they love each other without anything in the way. How much more is it for God when He looks down on us and He sees us and we're squabbling with each other, and we can't get along with each other, and he thinks, I saved you, and I saved you, and I put just as much effort into saving you and making you my son as I did to make you my daughter or my son, and I expect the two of you who are my children and have experienced the full scope of my love to love each other. And that is the background for which this book is written. Now, God makes it clear that, God, that He is light, and that, or rather, First John makes it clear that God is light and God is love. Now, as we walk in God's light, we will, in turn, walk in God's love. The two are inseparable. To walk in God's light is to walk in God's love. To walk in God's love is to walk in God's light. You cannot claim that you're walking with God and not love. You can't. You cannot claim that you have a tight-knit relationship with God while you have ought and hatred and disgust and disdain for a child of God. It does not work that way. It does not work that way. It is God's character to love. Please hear what I'm about to say because this is a big part of the introduction. He doesn't love those who deserve His love. If that was the case, no one would experience the love of God. He loves us because He chooses to do so. And we love Him. Why? Speak to me. Why do we love God? Not because we first loved Him. 
I get into this argument with my daughter. And I know you're not supposed to argue with your children, but sometimes I get into this silly argument with my daughter. And she'll come up to me and say, Dad, I love you more. And I'll say, no, you don't. I love you more. And she'll say, nah. And I'll say, yeah, <laughs> And then I always win the argument by saying this. I loved you first. I loved you first. Um, God loved you before you even knew what love was. How many times in the Old Testament did he tell his prophets, I formed you in the belly of your mother? Over and over and over again. It's found in the Psalms. It's found in Isaiah. It's found in Jeremiah. I formed you. I formed you. I formed you. God gave you every attribute of you are both physically and within your personality. He gave you to your parents. He gave you to your spouse if you're married. Uh, he gave you to this church. He gave you to this community. He gave you your job. He, he made you and molded you so far into who you are. And he deeply, deeply loves you. Not because you deserve it. Not because I deserve it. He loves you because it's his character to love you. God loves me in spite of who I am. God loves you in spite of who you are. Listen, God wants you to love me in spite of who I am. And God wants me to love you in spite of who you are. I am to be a reflection of God's love. That means that when you look at me, you're supposed to see that I am walking in God's love. I am to reflect that. My life is to reflect the love of God. Why? Because I am living in God's love. He has loved me. His love is changing me. I'm walking in His light. I'm walking in His love. And things in my life are beginning to change. And you look and say, that man, or in your case, that woman to the ladies, is a reflection of the love of God. But not only am I to be a reflection of God's love, I am to reflect God's love. God's love comes down on me, and as a mirror, I hold it at an angle, and it hits me, and it bounces onto you. And listen, it doesn't matter if you're nice to me. I'm supposed to love you. It doesn't matter if you're mean to me. I'm supposed to love you. Why? Because God has called us to be a family, and God has called us to love each other, and blood is supposed to run thicker than water. From verse 7 down through verse 11, John makes it clear what God expects out of his children and how they are to behave within his family. Boy, some strong language is given in the book of 1 John. And, and, and these warnings are to say, if you are my children, then get along with each other. Let's look at four thoughts this evening as we consider this truth, walking in the light of the Savior. Number one, love's command. Love's command. Now, some, sometimes in messages I'll have elaborate illustrations or quotes. I don't have a lot of that in the sermon this evening, but I believe the material is really good and will really help you, so I hope you'll really listen. Now, we love to read over the verses several times uh, so that it can really sink in. And so let's read verse 7 and 8, then we'll turn around and read verse 7 again. Look at verse 7 and 8 together. Behold, I, uh, brother, and I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye have from the beginning. Notice the emphasis on command. The old commandment uh, which ye have from the beginning beginning the old commandment is the word which uh, uh, ye have heard from the beginning and a new commandment verse 8 i write unto you uh, which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth so here we're told that i'm not writing a new commandment to you and then he turns around in verse 8 and says i am writing a new commandment to you john which is it are you giving us an old commandment are you giving us a new commandment and john says yes 
I'm giving you both. Let me give you an A and a B here. Letter A, love emphasized. Love emphasized. Look back at verse number 7, and let's emphasize part of this passage here. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. So, okay, John, what is this old commandment? The old commandment is to walk in God's love by living in God's light. Notice the phrase, look back there, from the beginning. From the beginning. It's mentioned twice. Now, if you remember, that's familiar. Look back at chapter 1 and verse 1. Chapter 1 and verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have, uh, we have looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of life. John chapter 1 verse 1 tells us, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So then, that means we need to go back to Genesis 1. We're not going to do it tonight, because all of you here are familiar with Genesis 1, but what, how is Jesus represented in Genesis chapter 1? He's represented in the form of light. Of light. We are to walk in God's love by walking in God's light. This is no new commandment, John says. This commandment has been around since the Garden of Eden. Now, uh, John made Adam, or rather, God made Adam and Eve and put them in the light that had been given to the earth. Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve walked with God when? In the cool of the day. During the day, during the light, the light is out, God comes down, there's no sin in Adam and Eve's heart, they walk with God in the light, they walk with God in His love. They lived in the presence of God's love by walking in God's light. The commandment to love God and love others goes all the way back to the first man and woman. It was a command that was written in their hearts. Hey, do you know that we really don't need anything written that says thou shalt not kill? Because it's written in our hearts that we're not supposed to kill. And in fact, if someone were to kill, they would immediately feel guilty. Where did that moral compass come from? I have to be honest. If I kill a bug sometimes, I feel a little, oh man, I I shouldn't have done that. Right? When I see an animal that's dead, I, I, when I was uh, coming, I shouldn't tell the story. It's going to make someone upset. I'm going to tell it anyway. All right. Um, I was coming home from, uh, from church uh, when I lived in Hagerstown, and it was a hilly road and uh, going to the house next to the liquor store. Anyway, going, Angela hates when I talk about that. Anyway, I'm, I'm just upsetting everybody. I'm coming home, and uh, I'm, I'm going down this hilly back road. It's a country road, and you know how it is. It's dark, and, and uh, you go up this hill and back down, and I come up over the hill, and right when I get to the top of the hill, there's a cat standing in the middle of the road. But um, but um, and I felt bad. I didn't laugh. I just sitting there and go, ah, that's bud, last cat in the world, that's better. I felt awful. I felt horrible. Why? There's something in my heart that says that's not good. That's not good. That was an accident. I didn't swerve to hit it. It was right in the middle of the road. Uh, we were coming home from. Uh, we were coming home from somewhere, going down a back road. I think we were coming uh, from the mall in Milford and Pastor Morales. She drove us down this path. It's dark. It's it, it's back roads. And there's a car stopped on the side of the road. And and uh, we stopped. And and uh, next to the lady, we thought maybe you know, we were all together. We thought maybe the lady was uh, in trouble, had in car trouble. And we rolled down the window. It was an Asian lady in the car. And she said, there's a poor cat in the woods over there that doesn't know where to go. I just feel so bad for it. 
And you see the the compassion that's there. Where does that love come from? Where does that care come from? And and it's not just toward, uh, it's not just toward animals. That love and compassion is written on the table of our hearts because it is a commandment given to us by God. And while yes, it is written in the Bible. And yes, it's found in the pages of scripture. It is written within the DNA of our maker who gave it to us. He says here, listen, I want you to walk in God's love. This is not a new commandment. This is a commandment that's been around. Abel chose to love God by obeying him in sacrifice. Cain chose to love himself by bringing the work of his own hand. Abel was approved and Cain was rejected. Why? Because Abel chose to love God and Cain chose to love himself. Then as God gave the law to Moses, he made sure to include the spirit by which the law was to be kept. Deuteronomy 6, 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Jeremiah 31, 3, which is our scripture song a few months ago, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. God loves us and he wants us to love him and he wants us to love others. He wants us to love each other. This is nothing new. John says this law to walk in God's light and live in God's love is no new law. This is a law that you've had from the beginning. Love emphasized letter B. Notice love exemplified. Exemplified. Look at first John chapter two and verse number eight. Again, a new commandment I write unto you. A new commandment I write unto you. Which thing is true in him, who's the him? It's Jesus. And in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. Now, in the Old Testament, there were shadows. There was darkness when it came to the depth of God's love, and the detail of God's love for mankind. Let me just ask this question this evening, and I'd like for you to raise your hand in a vote, okay, if you could. Which means more to you? The love that God has given you today, or the love He gave you from the cross? How many say the cross love, they both mean a lot, but the cross love means a little bit more? Would you raise your hand? Alright, anybody say that the love you have today means more than the cross love? Uh, that, That you'd rather have the blessings today over the... I think we all would say the cross, right? Do you understand that the people who lived in the Old Testament, they had a, they had this, this promise of a Messiah, but they had no details. No details. They didn't know what his name was going to be. We know him as Jesus. They didn't even, they didn't know his name. They didn't know how he would be born uh, until Isaiah came around. They didn't know how he'd be born. Uh, they didn't know how he would die. There was a lot of darkness about God's love. There was a lot of shadow uh, uh, over God's love. And, and, and they knew that he loved them from the provisions that were given them that day. But then Jesus came into the world. And in John chapter 8 verse 12, the, the Bible says, or Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You know what? All those shadows were gone. Now we know his name. Now we know how he will die. Now we know that he will live. Now we know the story of how he will conquer our death. And my friend, over and over again in my life, when I have been discouraged, when I've wanted to quit as a Christian, when I've wanted to walk away from it all, I've gotten down on my knees and I've thought about what Jesus went through on the cross. And that love has spurred me to get up and keep going for the Lord. 
hey, the shadows are gone. There is no more darkness or mystery over how God would love us or how God would save us. And here he is saying that love has been exemplified. The epitome of love is the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that he left uh, the portals of heaven, the riches of heaven, and he became a pauper born to peasants. He grew up a humble, simple life. He lived homeless and he raised uh, uh, or taught 12 disciples in three years of ministry and then he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. And God says, I love you with three rusty nails. Each time the hammer fell, we were told, God said, hey, I love the world. And love is exemplified. And I have become a child of God because I was willing to get on my knees and say, I'll take your love. I'll let that love stand on my account. I'll become a Christian because of what you did for me. Love has been exemplified. What is the new commandment? That you love as Jesus loved. Boy, I'm going to preach out of this passage, I believe, next Sunday morning. But John chapter 13, Jesus tells them that he wants them to love as he has loved. You know, they didn't have that example prior. Now we have this new commandment. Love exemplified. Uh, love's command. Number two, notice love's correlation. Love's correlation. Let's jump right into the subpoints here. Letter A, love equals light. Love equals light. First John chapter 2, look with me at verse number 10. First John 2 and verse number 10. It says, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. And there is none occasion of stumbling in him. So again, we see these two are inseparable. To love is to walk in the light. To walk in the light is to walk in God's love. They cannot be divided. Letter B, hatred equals darkness. Hatred equals darkness. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother, hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. That word hate is a strong word. It's a strong word. Uh, we throw the word love around. I talked about this a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning. We throw the word love around real flippantly. I'll say I love my wife and 20 minutes later say I love ice cream. Remember we talked about that? You know, we throw the word hate around quite a bit as well. And uh, I, I appreciate the older generation that sort of cringes when they hear the word hate. I don't see that so much out of the younger generation. Uh, but uh, if I'm around anyone 55 and older and you use the word hate, you can almost see them wince a little bit. Is, is hey, let's avoid that word. Let's not use that word. And as we become more comfortable with using the word hate, the idea of hating something or hating someone becomes more and more of an option. What does it mean to hate? Uh, I looked it up, and, and again, I, I guess there's a lot of different definitions out there, but I felt this one was pretty accurate. The word hate means to despise, to be filled with disgust, to spit on in one's heart. To spit on in one's heart. Have you ever hated someone? You don't raise your hand or nod or answer the question, but have you ever hated someone? I have. I have. I've been so maligned and mistreated. That I have had a hatred build in my heart. I have obsessed over wanting to see someone felt. You know what's really interesting? I, I, it's happened to me more than once, but the time that it happened the worst, um, I, um, while I was walking in that hatred, I quit reading my Bible. Just stopped. I barely attended church. I did it because I was going through the motions. Because I had done it my whole life. 
my body was there, but my heart was not there. I didn't get anything out of the preaching. I daydreamed while the preaching was going on. You know what I did? I turned up sports radio and talk radio, and I refused to pray when I would normally pray riding down the road. And for about six months, I just pushed God out of my heart because I was so focused on hating the person who had wronged me. One day, I um, this was prior to me being a, a pastor here, but I was riding up Highway 8, not real far from where I live now. And boy, God had been working on my heart. He'd been showing me the hatred that I had been basking in and how it was making me into a dark person. And I pulled over to the side of the road and I, I, I parked the vehicle and on the median. I just began to weep. I told the Lord I was sorry. I had been walking in hatred and I had been walking in spiritual darkness. The person that had wronged me claims to be saved. Now, was he? Is he? I don't know. Heaven will show us that. But he claimed to be, and I had no place hating him. I had no place hating him. Number three, notice love's complication. Love's complication. Look at First John chapter 2, look at verse number 11. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Letter A, notice the pain we feel. The pain we feel. I can make this guarantee to you. If you go to church long enough, and you get involved deep enough, you are bound to get your feelings hurt at some point along the way. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Sometimes these clashes come from simple personality differences. While you may not like someone, and while other people may get on your nerves, you should never resort to hating them. Ever. Ever. Um... As a someone who went to a, a four-year Bible college and lived in the dorms, can I tell you, there were some people that just flat out got on my nerves. Roommates. We had a roommate, um, I won't use his name, but we had a roommate who came, and he, uh, he came the second semester of my freshman year. There were eight of us shoved in one dorm room. And um, he was lazy to the max. Uh, he... Let's see, he would sleep till about 10.45, chapel was at 11, and he'd get up and he'd throw his clothes on without showering and he'd run straight to uh, uh, the chapel. And then uh, while he was getting ready, he would take a packet of dry ramen noodle and he, as he's getting dressed, he would eat the dry ramen noodle and leave it all over the floor. Well, while, while chapel was going on, they would come in and they would inspect our rooms and we would get in trouble if the room wasn't clean. You know, they, they had some system in place where, you know, if your room was messy or whatever, they'd give you some sort of mark and after so many marks, you had to do chores for X amount of hours around the college. And the struggle was that the room would be tip top shape. We had two Marines in our room. 
Two Marines. Some of you know Floyd. He's been here several times. Floyd was one of another man who had been in the Marine Corps for four years. And, uh, and, and it would drive them crazy. It would drive us all crazy. Eric didn't shower. Oh, I shouldn't use his name. There I go, slipping on his name. I, I may have changed the name to protect the innocent. I may not. All right. Uh, but, uh, he, uh, he was, he would just, at one time I looked and he was wearing my dress shirt and my tie. Oh. You know what? Personality clash. Personality clash. One time I went to the dryer my freshman year, and um, I had washed uh, my T-shirts. I'd washed my T-shirt, socks, my undergarments. I came back to the dryer, and my clothes were gone. Just gone. And I was sure it was this person. And I saw him a couple weeks later, and he was sitting on a bench uh, next to a girl and having a conversation with him. I wanted to go over and give him a wedgie and say, oh, that's where those went. That's what I wanted to do, but uh, I didn't. You know, there are times where people are brothers and sisters in the Lord. They're annoying. They're just annoying. There's no reason to hate someone just because of a personality class. You say, well, I don't like the way that person looks at me or that person talks to me. Their personality just grates on my nerves. My friend, they are the family of God. You are called all the same to love them. Now, you may not like them, but you're called to love them. And you're called to forbear. And you're called... To do your best to get along. Sometimes, though, sometimes it isn't about a personality clash. Sometimes there is a brother or sister in Christ who is so carnal or backslidden that they can do things that cut deep to the soul. Have we experienced this? Now, somebody in here this evening, you're still new to church, and you're like, after this message, I ain't ever coming back. Why do Baptist Church is full of sinners? And sinners hurt and offend. You hang around here long enough, somebody's going to say something that hurts your feelings. You get involved deep enough, and you're going to have something happen that, that cuts. Um, let me do this. If you've been going to church for at least 25 years and been involved in ministry uh, for at least five years, would you raise your hand in some sort of ministry? All right, hold them up. Keep them up. All right, keep your hand up if no one has ever done something that's hurt you. Every hand went down. Look at that. Every hand. Sometimes those hurts are traumatic. Sometimes those hurts make you pillow your head and weep at night. Sometimes you walk into a room and... The majority of the people in the room don't like you. And to be honest, you really don't like them because of things that have happened. Sometimes you just want to go into your shell and hide. And then while you're in your shell hiding, those thoughts of how dare they treat me that way. How dare they fill in the blank. And that turns into a seething hatred. And God says... That is wrong. I don't want to throw shade on anybody's pain tonight. I don't want to pretend as though it isn't real, because it's very real. Letter B, notice the perception we give. Look at verse 9 again, 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Notice the temptation here in verse 9. We claim that everything is great, but inwardly we are filled with hateful feelings 
that leads to a darkened heart. We care more about what others think who we are than what God knows that we are. We're more concerned about what people think than what God knows. The perception we give. Now, one of the things that kept me from falling off the map and falling out of church ministry was the fact that when I went through that hard time, and my wife went through that hard time, we went through it as a family together. When we went through that, even though we did not want to go to church, we went to church anyway. We sat on the pew, and we absorbed the messages, and while we may not have gotten a lot out of it, the habit of going helped us get through the trial. And by the way, we would eventually transition to another church ministry and the preaching would be far more helpful. And I believe it was because we were primed to be helped and God would lead us along. Do you know there was a little bit of faking it till we made it? Have you been there, Christian? It's okay to hurt. It is not okay to hate. It is okay... To need to avoid someone because that person has cut you deeply. It is not okay to hate that person for their action. The perception we give. Letter C. Notice the perspective we need. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 53 for me if you will. Isaiah 53, and look with me at verse number 3. Speaking of, this was prophetic about Jesus. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs. Look at the trauma in this, in this passage. And carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Look at verse 5. But he was wounded, why? For our transgressions. He was bruised, why? For our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. Have you ever hurt someone? Yes, you have. You hurt the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. You hurt him far more than any person could ever hurt you. You say, well, you don't know what sister such and such did to me. You don't know what brother such and such did to me. You don't know what that church leader did to me. Oh, I may or may not, but I know what you did to Jesus. And I know what I did to Jesus. Where do we find it in our heart to not hate? We find it in our heart to not hate by living at the foot of the cross. You may go through a phase of deeply not liking someone because of the way they treated you. 
Don't you cross the line into hatred. There are times where I could not stand my brothers and sisters. There are times where I wanted to be as far away from them as I could. There are times where if I could have wished them to the other side of the planet for a long time, I would have done that. But at the end of the day, they are my family, and I have to love them. You are my family. We are family. That brother or sister who hurt you, that is your family. And God has commanded that if you cannot, that he's commanded that you cannot hate them. And if you're struggling with that, that you go to the cross and you remember what trauma you caused the Savior along with the rest of the sin of the world. The perspective we need. Letter D, notice the path we choose. The path we choose. Unfortunately, many Christians choose darkness. They choose to hate. Now, I don't have the time this evening. I could make the time, but I want to be respectful. We could go to Matthew 18, and we could look at the end of the chapter where Jesus tells his disciples, if you don't forgive, that I will turn you over to the tormentors. I wouldn't choose that path. I wouldn't walk down that road. Where you get locked up into debtor's prison and you're tormented by a demonic oppression. Not possession, you're saved. Oppression. And you do things that make no sense. I know many a Christian who I believe have lost their mind in part because God has turned them over to mental torment because they would not forgive someone who wronged them. Do not walk down that road. I don't care how much you have to battle and fight. You must find a way to forgive. You have to. You have no choice. You say, you don't know what was done to me. You don't know how bad it hurts. You don't know how many bitter tears I've cried. Pastor, you can tell me all day what my sin did to Jesus, and I get that, but my heart hurts. And I would say, I've been there. I know your heart hurts. Trust me, I know your heart hurts. I've had some horrible things happen to me. I've had some horrible things happen to people that I love. But at the end of the day, for your own sake, you must choose forgiveness. You must choose the path of forgiveness. Oh, it's not because you're letting them off. It's because you're letting yourself off. Below that notice, we must always choose forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, if you know it, say it with me. And be ye kind, one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We have to choose forgiveness. Let me take a minute and talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean trust. Forgiveness and trust are two totally different things. Forgiveness cannot be earned. It can only be given. Because for someone to earn your forgiveness, they would have to go back and undo the wrong done to you. And that's impossible. If somebody wrongs you, the only way they're going to be forgiven is if you make the choice to forgive them. Forgiveness cannot be earned. It will never be earned. Forgiveness cannot be earned, but trust must be earned. Trust must be earned. You are a fool 
to put yourself back in the same place and get stepped on and hurt by the same person again. And if anyone expects you to do that, that is foolish. The pastor that hurt me and my family deeply. I would be a fool to go take another job working for him. Be foolish. You'd say, well, you haven't forgiven him. Oh, I have forgiven him. Trust me, it was a long journey, but I have forgiven him. If I saw him in the lobby tonight after church, I would be able to shake his hand and I'd be able to tolerate being in his presence for a few minutes. I would, I don't know that I want to go have a burger with him. I don't know that I want to hang out with him. I don't know that I want to be his best friend, but there was a day where I wanted the man, uh, uh, to die. There was a day I wanted the man's family to fall apart. There was a day I wanted the man's ministry to come to pieces. There was a day I wanted the man to be exposed for everything bit of a fraud that I viewed him to be, but God has brought me to a place where I have forgiven him. Does that mean I have to go hang out with him? Oh, that's not what that means. Forgiveness and trust are two different things. Forgiveness is releasing my right to punish. It is releasing my right to punish and giving it to God. When you read in the book of Psalm and David keeps saying, punish my enemies, punish my enemies, punish my enemies. You know what David's saying? I have forgiven them because I've given my right to punish them to you. You punish them, I'm not going to do it. Could have David punished his enemies? Oh, you betcha. You remember when uh, Saul told him, if you want to marry my daughter, you've got to go murder a hundred Philistines. Gave him another task we won't get into, but murder a hundred Philistines. And he went and murdered 200, or killed 200, and it wasn't murder. He killed them, and they were the enemies of God. He didn't just kill 100, he killed 200. David was a man of war. He could have very much avenged his enemies, but he chose not to. He chose to release that right to God. We must choose forgiveness. We're family. He's our father. And when we fight, when we hate each other, it breaks the heart of our heavenly father. You say, well, you don't know what was done. Maybe not, but I know that God chose to forgive you and you can forgive. Next notice, we must seek reconciliation. Now, this subject's even more touchy. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me. I want to explain what reconciliation is and how it works. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and look at verse number 17. Reconciliation is a step beyond forgiveness. Reconciliation is um, a little bit more than just saying, I forgive. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us... To himself by Jesus Christ. Look at the factors here. You have God and man reconciled or brought back together. Forgiveness has been given through a mediator, the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, and look, look at the rest of the verses. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing the trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given to us the word of reconciliation. Now that then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did besiege you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now please hear what I'm about to say. Reconciliation, there are some factors to reconciliation. How did God become reconciled to man? God had to make a choice to humble himself, man must make a choice to humble himself, 
And they must come together in that humility. You say, well, where do you find that God humbled himself? In Philippians 2. The Bible says that he humbled himself and became obedient to the death of the cross. Now, there was an offended and there was an offender. The offended was God. He was offended over our sin. There's us as the offender. And before this reconciliation could take place, both parties had to humble and come to the middle and in humility be reconciled. Now, here is where we go wrong. We say, and and I see this happen in a lot of marriages especially, one party is filled with pride and the other one's a doormat and allows themselves to get ran over and they concede even when they shouldn't concede because they haven't done anything wrong. One is humble and the other one isn't and the party that's humble gets taken advantage of. Listen, God has not called you to be weak. He's called you to be meek and being meek means you still have a backbone. Reconciliation comes when both parties humble themselves. Here's what I want to say to you tonight. If that person in your life, we talked about this morning, those people that you just don't like very much, or those people that, I think the way I worded it was, you have a strained relationship. I have, right now, I have some strained relationships in my life, and it drives me crazy. It just drives me nuts. Uh, I don't like to think about it, because it just, uh, it it sets me on edge. I, I want those things fixed. Here's the test. If that person you had a strained relationship with you, came to you today and said, I want to make this right. Is your heart in a place of humility where it could be made right? You all here have known uh, the story I've told about the pastor that threw Angel and I out of that church after serving there for four years. And um, part of the struggle there is there's just no humility on his part. There hasn't been. I don't know that there will be. Here is my test that I have asked myself over and over again. If I walked into that lobby tonight and he was standing there and he had humility and he wanted to reconcile with me, would I be willing to do it? Would I be willing to take him in my office and sit down and make things right and right the relationship and hug him and cry with him and pray with him? Because if I'm not willing to do that, then I'm not doing my part. Now, as long as he's lifted up in pride, I'm not required to do anything else other than have a humble heart and wait on him. Those people in your life that have wronged you, if they have come to you and they have attempted to reconcile, and in your pride you're refusing to reconcile, then the Otis is on you, not them. You need to make sure that you are not walking in darkness. You forgive and you prepare to right the wrong. Notice lastly, number four, loves clarity. Loves clarity. Look with me at verse number 10 and verse number 11. Matthew, you could come up here. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. All right, come down here with me real quick, bud. You know where this is going, don't you? All right, I'm going to blindfold him. Okay. Any Boy Scouts in here know how to tie a good knot? I'm going to get him, get, him, get him where he can't see here. All right. Can you see? Tell the truth. Don't lie. Lying's a sin. Not in church. Not ever. Okay. All right. Here's what we're going to do. All right. We're going to spin him around. 
Spin them around, spin them around, spin them around. Okay, all right. Now I'm his dad. I don't believe in being easy. I do it the tough way. All right, there we go. Okay, all right. Get that up over your eyes. Okay, all right. Okay, I want you to walk to the back of the auditorium. Go ahead. Okay, he can find an aisle way. All right. Yeah, he's a little—he's a little tipsy. He's running into people. Do you know that's how a lot of us are living our Christian life? We're stumbling in the darkness. Keep going. He has no idea where he is. All right, you can take the blindfold off. You can give me my tie back after church. I've always wanted to preach without a tie. Now's my chance. Amen. (laughs) Do you know why it is some Christians never grow? Because they're living with hatred in their heart. Let me go back to what I said at the beginning of the sermon. If my children were hating on each other as adult children, just hating on each other, and the relationship was severed and broken, and they were being nasty with each other, or even if they were confiding in us of their nastiness, I'd have a hard time leading my son and giving him my wisdom as a parent. Here's the reality of what the Scripture is saying. If you shut out your brother or your sister, God has shut you out. He is not giving you His light, and you cannot walk in the truth. I don't know about you, but this is a complicated world, and life is hard, and I need all the help from God I can get. And not one person walking this planet is worth it for me to stumble in darkness in order to be able to hate them. We are called to love. We are commanded to love, not just the ones that are easy to love, the ones that are easy to hate. We are called to love. Now again, for some of you here this evening, you're good. There's no one in your life this applies to. I promise you, stick around long enough and it will apply. I promise you it will. Learn to walk in the light. Let me ask a question this evening. Is there a relationship in your life that's struggling? If so... What are you going to do to reconcile? What are you going to do to forgive? It's not worth it to stumble in the darkness. God the Father loves you. He's heartbroken when you can't get along with your family. Can we have blood, our royal blood, be thicker than than water? Can we learn to walk with the Lord? Can we learn to walk in the light and love each other? Lord, I pray that this evening you'd help us to look at this passage and may we set aside our pride our own inhibitions, our own agendas. Lord, where people are wrong with each other, may they make it right. Where I'm wrong with people, would you help me to make sure my heart is humble? Lord, I'm sure you sit in heaven and you look down at us and say, little children, just love as you've been loved. You hurt me and I forgave you. Can you turn around and do the same for each other? Help us to be a church that walks in the light. Help us to be a church that has 
great clarity moving forward for the Lord. May we not let divisions and schisms keep us from achieving what you have for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name.